Now we're on. Okay. Recording, recording. So we talked before about this, this incest with the half-sister, and now Absalom, the full brother of, of the girl that was raped, now is planning revenge. And he's willing to put a lot of time and effort into this. Verse 7. Gives you a time frame. This is four years have passed. I'm sorry, 40. This is 40 years after when David and Absalom finally got together. So it's looking back and telling the story from that perspective. Yeah, at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill the vow I made to the Lord. Now, he's lying. He didn't do that. <laughs> right? But now you finally got me back here, but I made this promise. If I ever return to Jerusalem, I'm going to go to Hebron. So, oh well. So he, it's a ruse. He's, he's got, got this plan. He's had lots of time to construct this plan. Now, recall the, the importance of Hebron. Hebron is where David was first crowned king. The southern kingdom, remember? The northern won't have anything to do with them, but the southern kingdom, with their headquarters in Hebron, elected David king. So that's a very special place to David. So Absalom says, I'm going to go there. So the plan is, Absalom apparently is very very persuasive. He tricks a bunch of influential men to go with him. They have no idea why they're going, but their presence there seems to support his cause. So he's tricking them into supporting him as king. So it's like you invite all these, these influential people to, to come and be in a room with you, and you take your picture with them, and then you show everybody, see all these people came to, to support me, or whatever. Yeah. No, we didn't. We had no idea why we were coming. Right? You just invited us, and, and we decided to come. And one of them is David's trusted advisor. Say this name, Ahithophel. <laughs> Keep in mind, okay, trusted advisor, but now he is, at this occasion in Hebron, he is swayed to side with Absalom. A couple chapters down the road, we're going to see that coming to play, and he's not going to make out too, too good in the end. Verse 14 is David's response to all this. Rather than stay and fight, he gathers up a bunch of, a bunch of his stuff, and he runs away. But David leaves ten concubines to continue running the palace. Now, again, they give you, that seems like a strange detail. That's going to come into play in a couple chapters. So remember the, the ten porcupines. They're going to be very, very important here shortly. Going to verse 19, 20, 21, 22, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. For some reason, David believes that just about everybody in the nation is against him. See, he's, he's secluded himself in, on the throne. He's not doing anything. He won't interact with anybody. And so one person tells him, all the people in Israel hate you, and he believes it. He doesn't try and find out what the truth is or anything. And he should certainly have, have reconsidered that, that truth because as he's leaving and going through other towns, everybody's crying for him as king. You think he would have noticed that, right? Oh, David, go back, be on the throne. We love you. 
No. One person hates me, everybody hates me, I might as well eat worms. Um, it just, like I say, he's just, he's a mess. Absolute mess. So, you'll also note here that we even have foreign troops that are maintaining their loyalty to David. So he has an incredible amount of support, and he doesn't see it. One of the newest of these foreigners, the guy named Ittai, David gives him a full pardon from serving so that he may return to his family. But Ittai's devotion to David is reminiscent to Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Verse 23, giving you some geography, we're now headed toward the Mount of Olives. Uh, we were just there last week, weren't we? Right? That's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Verse 24, out of all the things they took, David made sure they took the ark. Good move. But after the priest sacri sacrifices to God, David instructs the ark to be taken back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the holy city, David sees as more important than him alone as king. I would say that's the first good decision David has made in a long, long time. And as the story progresses, we got this guy named Ittai, and then we got four new characters, Zadok the priest, his very good friend Hushai, we have Ziba and Shimei. Not Jimmy, Shimei. Then in verse 25, we see David now finally willing to submit to God. He seems to indicate that he believes these events are a just punishment for his sins. So even he's thinking. See, that's why he's, he's resigned himself to, to, to this terrible conclusion, because God's mad at me. See, it's the Jewish cause and effect, it's, it's rampant. So even David, as, as good a believer as he is, has succumbed to that. I sinned, God is getting even with me, anything I get is just punishment for what I have done. And resign yourself to that. <coughs> so David sends the ark back to Jerusalem because he believes God will vindicate him, and thus David will have a chance to worship God again in the holy city. So he's sending the ark back in anticipation that there will come a day when I will be able to be king again and be able to worship God in the holy city. So he's planning for that. He's, 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 he's hopeful of, of that. But bottom line is that David would rather be right in his relationship with God than win this conflict with Absalom. So that's another good decision. But really what he's doing, he's saying, I'm not going to hold the ark as a political prisoner. The ark belongs in Jerusalem. And whoever's controlling Jerusalem, have at it. But God will vindicate me in the end. Now, as if things are not bad enough, David now discovers that this Ahithophel, his trusted advisor, has joined the conspiracy. But notice what David does. He prays that God will turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. And, hang on, that's going to happen. So his other dear friend, Hushai, David sends him 
to be the opposing voice to Ahithophel. So the, the plot really thickens here. I mean, this is intrigue and mystery like you wouldn't believe. Kind, kind of neat. So you have somebody who has betrayed you. Now I have to send somebody else in, infiltrate into the enemy, and pose as you know, a, another advisor, but make sure that advisor opposes Ahithophel. Look at verse 31. You haven't seen the phrase, David prayed, or David inquired of the Lord in a long time. This is the first time he reaches out to God. So another good decision. But he's basically saying, God, I'm putting this in your hands. I can't control this. I am going to do whatever, whatever you, you want me to do. So the last verse, David's friend Hushai arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. So he's, what's, what's your message? Absalom was in Hebron. Now he's, now he's coming back to Jerusalem. So he wanted David and all the people to leave so he could get into the city or what? I don't, I don't no, David just left because knowing Absalom was coming back, and figuring everybody hates me, I might as well get out of town. He just voluntarily leaves. So it wasn't uh, no no military battle at that point. No, he just yeah. Fortunately, Absalom was out of town. David says, "All right, let's just go." Just packs up all the all the wives and the kids and. Well, I thought Absalom was going to set up his kingdom in Hebron, but no, he was going to come back. To Jerusalem. Right. Yeah, especially now that the Ark is back in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the central headquarters. Yeah, that's the city. So here goes chapter 15. What other grand and glorious questions and ideas do you have about that? I, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You don't have to watch soap operas. Just read the Bible. It, is, it has everything you would find in, in a soap opera. Where do you think they get their ideas? Seriously. Alright, let's try chapter 16. So, what all this means now, yeah, Ahithophel obviously is uh, kind of siding with Absalom now. And what we're finding now is David cannot figure out who is still loyal to him. Is that important? When, when, when you're in a conflict, do you, do, you, do you want a person or two to be loyal to you? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> number one. Yes. So if if you're not sure of anybody, you're in trouble. Yeah, you think you're all by yourself and you think everybody's an enemy. And even if they they are still loyal to you, you may treat them as an enemy and you might ruin the relationship. Right? So I mean it's just all kinds of possibilities here. So all these guys are out in in question now. We you know, absolutely obviously we know is against his father. Uh, Hithophel apparently has sided with Absalom. But even Mephibosheth comes up, who seems to be loyal to David, but now there's a question raised about his loyalty as well. And Ziba seems to go out of his way to demonstrate his loyalty, which is a little over the top, which 
may indicate that he's just faking, right? So, like I say, you just you don't know the people you really have trusted for years now. All of a sudden, it's it's not clear. And so to that, David says, all right, let's just get out of Dodge. But the, the big question is that we're talking loyalty. David is having trouble finding anyone loyal to him. The, the big question for us is, will David remain loyal to God? See, when it all falls apart, and I said two weeks ago, I mean, the, the difficult time reveals one's true character. That's what the real question is. That, yeah, will David remain faithful to God? Regardless of who else or what else is, is for him or against him. So we got donkeys coming. Just an interesting exchange. <laughs> but Ziba says, yeah, I'm on board, king. You can, you can trust me. Now, this Shimmy character, you notice what tribe he's from? Well, don't even look. You ought to be able to figure it out. Who's the bad tribe? That every, every, every time we see them, they're doing something bad. The Benjamins. Remember Benjamites? Yeah, they raped raped that girl in the very beginning and then covered it up. I'm just, I mean, every time we've seen a Benjamite has been for some bad reason. And here Shimmy is 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 goes out of his way. It it strikes me like a Monty Python scene. He's he's shouting, you know, all these curses against David, throwing rocks at him and dirt. <laughs> So it, it, it's just just bizarre, but Shimmy is a distant relative of Saul in the the family of Saul. So David responds to this cursing of Shimmy by stating that that perhaps God has told Shimmy to he's he's using Shimmy as a prophet. Maybe this is what I need to hear because I'm so bad. But you see, he asked for forgiveness way back when, right? So he's not really believing God has forgiven me. You see, you see what this does? But that's what—that's the devil's plot, is to get us to feel guilty, to get us to feel as though there's nothing I can do. You're unworthy. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was really bad. You know, this is way beyond God's forgiveness which is probably the dumbest thing any of us could ever say. Right? God who is almighty, we're saying God is limited. I have crossed the line and I cannot be forgiven for what I have done. So he has gone for years now in that mindset. So everything bad that happens to him is a, is a confirmation in his mind that God is still mad at me. How easy it would have been for him to simply say, God forgave me, as Jesus says, you're free indeed, right? I've set you free. But instead, the devil keeps coming in and keeps, keeps piling on that, that burden of guilt. So David is crazy enough to even think that, well, maybe, maybe he's speaking the truth. Maybe that's what God wants me to hear. It's like, really? 
What Shimei is saying is that David acquired the throne illegally. And therefore, this is his God is instituting just punishment, removing him from the throne. That's what Shimei is saying. Of course, we understand that David is a legitimate king. So hang on to Shimei. By chapter 19, Shimei is going to retract his curse. He's not going to throw stones and dirt anymore. So David's response is, well, I mean, any other king would just have the guy's head cut off, right? Just somebody go over and kill that guy. I'm tired of listening to him. But instead, David believes that it's God speaking to him, and so he defers and said, now just let him go. So it's so bad that they're walking down through a valley, David in the troops, and Shimei is up on the ridge, picking up rocks and throwing it down on him. <laughs> just, he won't let him go. He just keeps following mile after mile, yelling and screaming at the top of his head. He must sound like a lunatic. He just keeps doing it. And David says, ah, let him go. Verse 15. And following. So Ahithophel is David's former chief advisor. And David sent him to pretend to support Absalom and discover what the, the plan of attack was. But Absalom convinced him to side with, with, with him. So Ahithophel offers his counsel on what to do. And now his other friend, his true friend, Hushai, shows up. Basically, with the concept of whatever, I'll let Ahithophel speak first. Whatever he says, I will say the opposite. And make the distinction clear that Absalom has to choose one or the other. Put some doubt out there of Ahithophel's authenticity. So Hushai comes in and addresses the king, apparently Absalom at that point, and with a vague statement, you know, long live the king. He didn't name Absalom. <laughs> He's actually referring to David, <laughs> but he wants Absalom to hear, you know, well, you know, just, you know, you, you're, you're, you're for me. No, no, I'm really here for King David. So the two of them kind of go, go, go back and forth. Now, verse 17, the word love appears again. Now, we talked about this some chapters ago uh, with David and Jonathan's relationship. It said that you know, they, they loved each other. David loved him tremendously. Loved him more than any woman, it says. But it, what it means is that that word in Hebrew signifies a covenant relationship. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. It's not a, not a, not, not, not a, a marriage relationship. It's not a uh, man and woman relationship. But two men arrive at a covenant. That's the word that is used there. The word, the word in Hebrew is hesed. So that's the word that, that, that we find here again. Now, Hushai is a, really a model politician and how he explains why he is now siding with Absalom. So he basically lies to him and gives this long, drawn-out account of, you know, well, you know, why are you here? Well, I'm here because, you know, I... I, I see the wisdom of, of, of siding with you rather than, than, than David. He's, he's you know, useless anymore. So, 
Ahithophel offers the advice, the counsel, to Absalom. See? Here come the porcupines. Go sleep with all, not one, all of David's porcupines. And do so in plain sight of everybody. Remember the rooftop that David saw Bathsheba? Yes. So, did say all on the same day. Might have been ten days in a row. But you know, do it in public so that everyone sees what you're doing. <laughs> Jan just shakes her head. <laughs> yes. Yeah, everybody's in with their phones out and everything. <laughs> now, that makes no sense to us, but you have to understand the times. That the, the women really had no power in the royal palace. The wives and porcupines have no power per se. But the number of them signifies the king's power. Therefore, if you're taking over whatever kingdom and royal palace, by definition you have to also overpower the women. And so that's what they did. It's a sign of my authority. I'm taking everything that this other king had, including his women. Going this far, there is no way Absalom could ever back out at this point. In, in this culture, that was the final straw. Yes. You know, when you get, 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 I mean, you, you take over land, you take over buildings, you take over peoples. But when you take the former king's women, that's the, the, the last straw. That's the, the, the final indication that I am supreme ruler over, over this land. Now, if you were to go back to chapter 12, when Nathan appears, Nathan exactly said this would happen. Quote, Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. That's what God told Nathan to say to David when he confronted him with the original affair with Bathsheba. That, that's the exact quote. <laughs> I say, God knows the future. He doesn't make it happen that way, but he just knows this is what's going to happen. He's good, he knows that for years David is, is going to be useless. He's not going to do anything. And so, not doing anything allows all these other things to happen. So not interacting with, with, with your son Absalom made him very bitter and angry, and he's going to take it out on you. If David had just changed one little thing in that process, it would have turned us all around. But David just doesn't do it. But God says, your wives will be given to one close to you. Doesn't identify Absalom. Doesn't go that far. But one close to you. But you know, the detail of will lie with your wives in broad daylight. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of a kicker there. And then it says that Ahithophel's advice up to this point is viewed as directly coming from God himself. That's how much esteem he has in Absalom's court. Everything Ahithophel says, Absalom will do. 
And there goes chapter 16. I told you we we're going to move along here tonight. What are the thoughts, questions you have on chapter 16? We think that was fast. Why do we get to 17 and 18? Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it is a contrast, isn't it? I mean, to see David at at the height of of his faith, and and to see him now is doesn't he look like the same person? Does it? But again, the evidence that you can you can accept Jesus, but you can also deny Jesus. So the, the concept of once saved, always saved is fallacy. Like when I was 12 years old, I accepted Jesus. Therefore, I can go rape, pillage, and plunder all I want, and I still get to go to heaven. No, you don't. <laughs> right? It doesn't work that way. There's nowhere in there where you, you, can, you can convince me it says that. But there's a lot of Christians who believe that. And in fact, they act that way. <laughs> so I get to do anything I want and gossip and all the rest in church and you know, make myself look good when in fact I'm nothing more than a, than a Pharisee. Yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm a bunch of dead bones in a in a whitewashed tomb. But yeah, there's just people do that, and it's it just it's it's frightening to see that. So David was with God, but for years did nothing with God. It's not that God wasn't there, was that God wasn't available. It's just that David didn't reach out to God. The only time you prayed so far is get that Hithophel guy. <laughs> right? Because he's he he turned on me. And that's all we see. Now fortunately it's gonna by chapter twenty four, it's gonna take a while to get there, but by chapter twenty four it's gonna start coming back around again. And then you gotta start looking at first and second Kings and Chronicles and all that to see even more stories of the great King David. But it's you know, just a sad, sad testimony. But the good news is, which follows Jesus' teaching at the Last Supper, uh, John 15, uh, you know, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, if you don't produce fruit, I'm going to cut you off. If you ever decide you want to produce fruit, I'll graft you back in. But then again, if you don't produce fruit, I'm going to cut you off again. If you decide to lay in there dying that you, you want to be regrafted in, I'll regraft you in. We'll just keep doing that back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You know, no problem doing that. The only question is, if you die or Jesus returns when you're laying there on the ground, yeah, not going to be so good. That's why he says, remain in me. Don't you know, go away for years Remain with me. Does that not help relationships? Have a really good friend? You take 10 years off? No communication whatsoever? No texting, tweeting, emailing, nothing for 10 years? Be a little odd to get back together again, wouldn't it? Got a lot of catching up to do. How, how would that go for, for marriage? Take 10 years off. Right, Peggy, are you, are you laughing because it sounds so enticing? Or what? 
I mean, would that not be ridiculous, right? I mean, the, the relationship, you'd be virtually starting all over again. But the good news is God is willing to accept us where we are, but how foolish of us to test that theory. So David, great as he is, yeah, he's, he's a model example of humanity. Because many people go, go, go through that, that exact same process. Hopefully we can learn from this. That's not a good strategy. <coughs> Chapter 17. Now the conflict between Ahithophel and Hushai comes to bear. Who's going to win? So again now, Hushai, go, go please, Ahithophel, you, you, you tell us what, what you think first. Because then he has to hear what Ahithophel says before he decides he's going to say the opposite, right? To just make sure Absalom sees the difference. So Ahithophel suggests that they need to strike David immediately because David is now weak. He's on the run. He hasn't had time to formulate his army. He's, he's, he's just, he's not set. And we should be able to go in and kill only David. And then bring all those troops and all that stuff back to Jerusalem and just get them to be part of us again. So the only one that really has to die is David. Not a bad military strategy. Makes some sense. If you can pull it off. So, Hithabel says, let's take 20,000, 12,000 troops tonight and go after David. Just a sudden lightning attack. Let's just get him now. So, we have that side. Notice what Hushai suggests. Let's take our time. <laughs> the opposite. Let's take even more troops. And when we go, we have to make sure not only David, but every soldier that supports David is killed. Again, very opposing military strategies. And this time, Hushai wins the debate. And of course, being David's spy, sends word to David saying, okay, this is what's happening. <laughs> right? David's waiting to hear. So, two spies, two priests, are kind of in disguise and uh, you know, taking this news, and they almost get caught. They have to hide in a well. <laughs> They cover it up and put some stuff over top of it and, and they're, they're, they're not found. But it was really, really close. But eventually the word gets to David who has been positioned right at the Jordan River. And so the decision is made, you've got to cross the Jordan, which means you're leaving Israel. You're no longer in Israel. So, Ahithophel has this great influence and one time the king doesn't listen to him Ahithophel throws a hissy and goes out and hangs himself <laughs> if you won't listen to me I'll fix you right it's like okay yeah <laughs> it's absolutely amazing uh, 
So Hushai's plan is, is so complicated, it's, it's going to take time, but in that time gives David time to get himself prepared. That's the, the strategy. So Ahithophel hangs himself, and there's... Who else do you know that famous person that hung himself? Judas, right? There's some similarities here. Ahithophel betrayed David. Judas betrayed Jesus. The response of both of them is to hang themselves. You know, I've, I've lost all... All influence, all bearing in this, 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 whatever, this organization, and my only response is to go out and hang myself. Interestingly, there's another similarity. Remember, we pointed out the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we are now. That's where Judas was as well. Same, same scene. So all that occurs in chapter 17, and at the end of the chapter, some locals from this foreign nation now that they're in, brings David and the troops some food and supplies and helps to take care of them. Which is kind of interesting. Their enemy nation next door <laughs> is actually helping helping David. So the people have become hurt, hungry and tired and thirsty in the desert. Well, duh. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen in the desert? And there goes chapter 17. Get whiplash on that one? <laughs> what are the thoughts do you have about chapter 17? You get lost in all the names? Yeah. There's a lot of names. It gets to the point you can't tell who... What, what, which one is a name or which one is a country? Right? <laughs> they, all, they all sound the same. David's the only easy name. Yes! <laughs> it's like, Ahithophel. Who names our kid Ahithophel? Oh, Jim. <laughs> yeah, really. But at the end of the chapter, they give this huge list of foods that are brought, showing the, the generosity of, and benevolence of these people. So it's kind of kind of neat that they're willing to, to, to reach out like that. Chapter 18. Get ready for this battle, and David musters the men who were with him. And do what any good commander-in-chief does. Start breaking the troops into manageable groups. Into groups of hundreds and thousands. And David picks three of his key leaders to be responsible for each of these big groups. So we have Joab, who we already know. Joab's brother Abishai. And that guy named Ittai are the three generals. So each one will be given a specific task to do, but all of it is to work toward victory in the final battle. And the king, David, tells the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. In other words, I'm not going to send you out on this alone. We're either going to live together or we're going to die together. But look at verse 3. 
The men said, you must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Now, you and I hear 10,000, we think, eh, 10,000. $10,000 is a pretty good chunk of change. A billion's more, right? <laughs> but you need to understand, in the, in the Hebrew numbering system, 10,000 was the biggest number they had. That was it. Well, think of the times. What do you need any more than 10,000 of? <laughs> All right? <laughs> yeah, you pretty much count everything on one hand, right? So, I mean, it just, you know, the number 10,000 was, was, would be equivalent to our, you know, zillions, right? But that's why the power of the, the parable that Jesus tells about the, the, uh, the slave, the servant that uh, uh, owed, owed the king, remember how much? 10,000 talents. A talent is a year's wage. He owed, how do you get in debt that much? That's worse than America, for crying out loud. The equivalent, 10,000 years wages. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars he owed. And so the guy goes in and pleads, well, I, I, can't, I can't pay this back. And so the king forgave him. And then that guy went out, remember? The guy owed him five bucks, grabs him by the throat and says, pay up now. And he, he said, I'll pay you next Tuesday. And he says, nope, I'm going to throw you in debtor's prison now. And then the king heard about all that happening and then calls the first guy back in again and says, I forgave you a really big debt. Guess what? The debt's back on. I'm throwing you in prison until you can pay, which, you know, 10,000 basically means infinity. In the Jewish understanding of things, that's what that number means. So what they're saying is, you know, 10,000 to us doesn't sound like a lot. You know, when we go into war and all that, we're taking hundreds of thousands of troops, right? So 10,000 doesn't sound like us, but you need to understand, for them, what they're saying is, you know, you are worth more than an infinite number of us. So we have to protect you. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. So you be the command center, but let us fight to keep you safe, O king. Verse 4, the king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. Which is kind of interesting coming from David, being so submissive. <laughs> right? But again, he's just, he's, he's so lame at this point. He just, he's along for the ride. Just whatever. You know, you know, God hates me, everybody hates me. You know, it's just, uh, just, he's really at a loss. It's absolutely incredible. Now, verse 5 is critical. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, the three generals, be gentle with a young man, Absalom, for my sake. So David A is believing that they are going to win this battle, which they had no reason to believe that against so many opposing forces. But he says, basically, we're going to win, but I need you to keep Absalom safe. Then look at the second part. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So, everybody knows this. There's no question. The army marched into the field to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. 
Not a good day on the battlefield. 20,000 troops, most of them from Absalom's army, because David doesn't have that many to start with, right? So most of those numbers are from Absalom's army, died on the battlefield that day as a result of, quote, the sword. But then it says, verse 8, the battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. Just a treacherous terrain. Now it's dark. You go into the forest, it's dark, and you're running away. Somebody's chasing you, and you, you slip and fall, and you, you know, fall off a cliff. I mean, it's just so, just all kinds of dangers and lions and tigers and bears in the forest. And yeah, so, so what I'm saying is that day, if more than that died, at least 40,000 soldiers died that day. One day. Fortunately, this is only a one day battle. Now the fun. Remember a few chapters ago when it described Absalom, how good-looking he was and his long, thick hair? Uh-oh. Now here it comes into the story now. David is riding along on a donkey. Sounds odd. <laughs> you know, everybody's on the... <laughs> Alex is like, like me in my truck. I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> so, but they really didn't have that many horses, so they actually fought these battles on, on donkeys. It makes no sense. Sounds kind of silly. Again, Monty Python, but hey, what are you going to do? So that's what he did. So he's riding on do to do to do to do do, and his hair is flying in the breeze and all that. And his hair gets caught in a, a the thick branches of an oak tree, which must have been obviously very low, right? So he's literally hanging. Yeah, I mean, the donkey just kept going, right? I mean, and you got a picture of the scene. I mean, it just your hair here it gets pulled, and the donkey just keeps going, and you are hanging from your hair, which is a mostly unpleasant experience at the beginning, but it gets worse. So he can't get himself down. I don't know why he didn't pull his sword out and just just cut his cut his hair off, but apparently he liked his hair that much. So a soldier, one of David's soldiers, sees the predicament goes and tells General Joab, there he is. But again, everybody heard. Keep the kid safe. He's my son. That's the first soldier that found him. He wasn't going to do anything to him. I'm just going to tell, tell you, my general. You figure out what to do with him. But I'm, I'm not going to go kill him or anything. And Joab tries to get that first soldier to go back and kill him. The guy said, no, I'm not going to. I heard King David say don't kill him. Did you hear it? You were standing right in front of me, you dumb bunny. So Joab says, all right, get out of the way. I'm going to take care of it. Takes three spears, javelins, and shoot, throws them right through the dangling Absalom. And then calls for a bunch more soldiers to come and stab him with swords and let's make sure he's extra dead. <laughs> so he's like really dead. Majorly, majorly dead. And then Joab orders the body be taken down, and they bury it under a pile of rocks. And there goes the insurrection. <laughs> That's pretty much done at this point. But the rest of the chapter is David's reaction to his son's death. Now, he didn't seem too terribly upset when Amnon, when Absalom killed Amnon. But when Absalom dies, 
There, there is absolutely no joy or celebration. There is only mourning for his son. In fact, David declares at the end of the chapter that he wished he had died instead of Absalom. And that's going to continue on then next week when we get into chapter 19. Because Joab's going to have to have a firm talk with the king. Because basically that conveys that the king doesn't care at all for those who have put their life in peril for, for him. And all we care about is your son. The son who tried to kill you, duh. And uh, you, know, you, you need to you know, say, say something nice about your troops that kept you safe and all of that. So uh, again, a bad decision. And it just, so David's uh, support weakens at that point and a lot of people don't like him anymore and uh, the way he's treating treating his, his own soldiers but we will get into that next week but here it goes chapter 18 any last minute thoughts on chapter 18 the room gets quiet